For the past three years, the Science of Reading Star Awards have honored educators who are beacons of light, guiding their classrooms, schools, districts, and most importantly, students through transformations with literacy. Now join us as we honor this year's winners at a special celebration event, which will feature celebrity keynoters and past podcast guests, Mitchell Brookins. Two years ago, one of my students as a school administrator came to me on the playground and he said, Mr. Brookins, I want to be like the other kids. And I said, what do you mean? He said, Mr. Brookins, I want to learn how to read. And Malcolm Mitchell. When I scored a touchdown, they either probably put my name in the newspaper, people probably tell me good job all around town. But when I finished one book, no one ever said anything. So which one am I more likely to repeat? Find out more information and register for the 2024 Science of Reading Star Awards ceremony at amplify.com slash Star Awards celebrations. That's amplify.com slash Star Awards celebration, all one word. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to invite you to register for a free virtual symposium on May 19th, 2022, Celebrating by Literacy, Realizing a Better Future for Our Spanish Speakers. During this event, you'll discover how to celebrate and honor the unique skills, strengths, and needs your multilingual learners bring to the classroom, as well as how to accelerate literacy development for your Spanish speakers. Register now at the link in the show notes. On today's episode, I talk with Dr. Brittany Bills from Grand Island Public Schools, where they're working hard to change not only their classroom instruction, but also the entire literacy system. From the district level to the building level to the classroom, they're working to ensure all resources are aligned and support all students in their literacy development. During this episode, you'll also hear from educators and students at Grand Island about their science of reading journey. Enjoy! Hello, Brittany. We are so excited to have you on our episode today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk with you today. Well, as you know, we always like to start by asking our guests to talk a little bit about their science of reading journey. Um, So we'd love to hear that from you. Yeah, I'd be happy to share. Uh, So my journey started um, about 10 years ago um, when I was a fresh school psychologist um, out of my preparation program and on my way to Heartland Area Education Agency, Um, you know, learning, you know, the way of, of school psychology and just, you know, practicing as a school psychologist. And um, Heartland AEA was really the place where my passion and love for learning about the science of reading ignited. Um, Mm. They had really outstanding professional development that they offered all of their incoming staff. Um, And um, they have uh, a really unique model for identifying students for special education services, um, which is one of the reasons why I decided to go there. Um, They um, do not use a discrepancy model at all for identifying students for special education. It's all around, um, at that time, we were calling it response to intervention, right? Mm -hmm, Um, And so, you know, putting evidence-based instructional practices into place, monitoring progress, and seeing how students respond. And so um, that is where it started. 
And I was just there for a brief amount of time. Um, while I was there, my now husband and I, you know, were fresh into a relationship and wasn't really certain where it was going to go. And um, he did end up proposing to me. And so I uh, moved back. Uh, we lived in the metro area in Omaha for five years, but I continued to work in Iowa for five years with Green Hills Area Education Agency. Okay. Um, where I continued to have outstanding mentors, um, you know, who really nurtured um, my desire to grow as a professional and learn everything that I could about the science of teaching reading. Um, and it's also the place where I had the great opportunity to work very, very closely with one elementary school over the course of my entire career there mm. and um, really launch an MTSS model for them. Um, it was um, it was so much fun, actually. I mean, I remember um, when I started with them, the principal there was brand new to a principal principalship. She, um, you know, hadn't been a principal before, and they were using Ames Web as their universal screener. And she's like, I know nothing about this. I have no idea what I'm doing. And I'm like, <laughs> I know so much about this. And I'm so excited, you know, that I can be here and I can help you. And so um, that elementary school was just such an incredible place to work. They were so open. Um, you know, they really thrived and just wanted to continuously improve and learn everything they could for the benefit of their students. And so, um, it's the place where I really just had a great opportunity to apply everything that I knew um, from my training program and then from my work at Heartland um, to an elementary building um, and and just really move them through a, a strong process of, of establishing a really nice system um, to support their students. So mm. and then. Um, um, I was about the time um, that I left there, I was just ready for leadership of my own. You know, I was um, pursuing some principal um, uh, possible principalships um, and then the job description for Grand Island came up um, and it was just a literacy focus. Um, mm -hmm. They were looking for someone to coordinate their ELA curriculum. And um, it was funny because I told my husband, I was like, they won't even interview me, um, you know, <laughs> uh, and uh, and they did. You know, it, it was just a constant like they won't offer me the job, you know, and <laughs> all of those. Don't things. worry. Don't worry. Don't, don't worry. worry right? Don't worry. Yeah, because it was very last minute. I mean, it was July. You know, yeah. it was it was a very quick turnaround. Um, and my husband does not handle change well at all. Um, and sorry, so, sorry if he's listening to this right now. Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. He would admit that. So, um, but yeah, and he knew, and I'm just, I'm, I'm also super grateful for him, right? He's always been so supportive of my desire to grow as a professional and pursue the things that I'm passionate about. Um, and so, yeah, we, that journey led us here um, with uh, Grand Island Public Schools. And I've been here now for four years. Um, and we've just done some really incredible and remarkable things in the very brief time that I've been here. I'm so proud of the work that we've done here. 
Um, you know, our teachers are um, all offered the opportunity to be trained with letters, professional development. Uh, we've gone through the process of um, implementing high quality instructional materials um, in our classrooms for our K-5 students. Um, we use, you know, a really solid universal screening tool for reading now um, with all of our K-5 students. Um, and we are now in the process. I have a new role. It's, it's my favorite role that I've ever served. Um, I'm now our district K-5 ELA curriculum coordinator and our MTSS academic coordinator. And so um, my passion for literacy is kind of um, pairing up with, right, uh, my knowledge base around um, MTSS. And I um, have this opportunity, this wonderful opportunity to develop this amazing system for Grand Island Public Schools. And so we are bringing those two worlds together right now. And it is a really exciting time for us. That's so cool. Well, let me tell you what I love about that story. I love that you made it real because you actually <laughs> talked about your husband and your proposal and right, like, listeners out there know like this is this is real life and we can't dedicate everything to our careers that's uh so that's really cool and then um i love that you highlighted heartland so for our listeners that don't know about that it really is sort of the seat of development of rti and mtss so so cool that you had that early opportunity and that and the opportunity in an elementary school for more than just a single year or two so you really have the opportunity to see at the student level what worked, what didn't work, and what it takes to actually move kids. Yeah, absolutely. It's, hmm. it's been an amazing journey. The science of reading has truly shown my students the why behind reading and all that it encompasses. My students are able to recognize how we learn to read, what skills we need to read, and they're able to demonstrate those things to show reading and understanding. The skills we are teaching and learning about truly are assets to my students and without the science of reading, I wholeheartedly don't believe my students would be where they are today as readers. As an educator, I myself have a deeper understanding of reading because of the science of reading and trainings that I've received. I know what is expected of my students to be proficient and successful readers and I know how to help them get there. The approach we've taken at my district with the science of reading at the forefront has developed my teaching and made me more confident and excited about teaching students to read and become better readers. The science of reading has made me more confident and a more engaging teacher. I feel better prepared to teach the future generations of students and provide the skills needed to become the best readers my students can be. Taking letters has also helped my teaching instruction and prepared me to better help, identify and target areas my students might need more support in, and provide an extra challenge to extend learning. This is something I would have never felt confident doing without the guidance of the science of reading. It has helped my students as it's developed them into the readers that some of them never thought they would be or even possible. They believe in themselves, they aren't afraid to try, and they're so eager to keep learning more. This has been one of the greatest things to witness as a teacher, and it's because of the science of reading. For our listeners that don't know, you were actually one of our Amplify Science of Reading Award winners, so congratulations again on that. And 
listeners can probably already hear why, right? Like just you talking about um, both your passion, but also what you've able, been able to do already to help move that work forward. You used the word MTSS or the letters MTSS. And I'd like to talk a little bit about that because I'm pretty sure that most of our listener base has heard MTSS before and may know something or a lot about MTSS. Can you just give us like, what is it? What are the key elements? Just school us a little bit in MTSS. Yeah, I'd love to. So um, MTSS is similar to response to intervention. It's multi-tiered system of supports, okay, is what it stands for. Um, And it's similar to RTI or response to intervention in that it is a problem-solving model, right? Um, Now, where it differs a little bit from response to intervention, response to intervention was, as evidenced by its name, right, response to intervention, was always more so of like an intervention focus, right? We Mm. use tools to identify students, and then we identify the interventions that they need in order to be successful. Within an MTSS framework or an MTSS model, um, the, the thought is that universal tier is the first intervention, for all students, right? And it presents the greatest opportunity for us to have an impact because that's usually the time of the day where we spend the most instructional time, right? Where all of our students are with us together in one space. Um, And if you have, you know, good high quality instructional materials and knowledgeable teachers, you know, like it it just is the greatest opportunity to have the largest impact. and um, another kind of key component of that, that framework and thinking about that universal tier um, within an MTSS model, the focus is really on prevention, right? Mm-hmm. So we want to prevent students from developing a reading difficulty, right? And so we are going to put into place all of the things that we need in order to prevent students from having that difficulty, that ongoing difficulty at third grade and beyond. Um, And so um, one of the things I think about as I think about like the science of reading, right, and how the science of reading really fits within an MTSS model, um, it's such a nice fit, right? Because we think about this, we think about our universal tier, and we think about, um, you know, using high quality instructional materials, Um, And and that's great. We want to do those things. But the reality of it is, is that all of our schools are different. Right. In my in my district, I have 14 elementary schools and they're all very different from one another. Um, And so when we think about like our universal screening data and, you know, all of those pieces, we really think about first problem solving around our universal tier first right based off of our data so what does our data demonstrate our students need within that universal tier and how can we apply evidence-based practices as they relate to the science of reading to beef up universal tier and opportunities for our students first there right Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. then it's a layering on of supports and problem solving at those other layers, the targeted and intensive tiers after that, right? Mm-hmm. But we really want to focus on that universal tier. Um, some other kind of key 
pieces of it is that universal screening. You know, it's really important that districts have evidence-based universal screening tools. I know not all districts use um, measures that are really sensitive to those critical early literacy pieces. Um, and so it's really important for districts to evaluate their um, assessments. You know, a lot of researchers will recommend that you do an assessment audit and just see, you know, if you have assessments that are gathering all of the data that you need around um, the different aspects of literacy. Um, that was a major missing piece for us that we put into place um, just a few years ago. Um, and ju honestly, just this year for all of our students, K-5. Mm. Um, and then another big piece is really that fidelity of implementation. You know what I mean? We're implementing things as they were intended to be implemented, as they were designed. Um, and before we make decisions about, you know, changing a program or changing our practices or changing our strategy, we want to make sure first that we implemented the way that we said we would, right, in the way that, that um, the programs were intended to be implemented. So... And then really the final piece, which also is very similar to a response intervention model, is that progress monitoring piece, that ongoing monitoring, right, of students. Um, but I really like to think about it as we problem solve around every tier, right? Beginning with universal tier, we mm -hmm. apply strategies, right? We monitor whether those strategies worked within that universal tier, and we continue to problem solve if things aren't working, right? And then and we move up as through that process, but we don't forget and we don't ignore universal tier and go straight to tier two and tier three. Mm, that's great. Oh, there's a lot to unpack there. Let's try to unpack some of it. So let's okay. <laughs> start with this, um, this idea of the universal tier or core instruction or what all students should be getting. Um, so as I understand it, and I'm not the expert here, we use a universal screener for all students to find out where they are in terms of risk categories. What happens if we find out, oh my gosh, we've got all these kids that really are at risk and really need a lot of intervention? Um, because I know a lot of times the first place people will jump is, oh my gosh, we need better tier two and tier three programs. I think you're saying that's not true. Yeah, I am saying that's not true, right? And I, I think our district is such a, a great example of that. I mean, our incoming kindergartners don't have a lot of opportunities and experiences before they enter our classrooms. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so we do have a significant number of our kindergarten students who um, already present, you know, real significant levels of risk for developing reading difficulty if we don't put things in place for them. Right. And so um, and and when you have that many students who demonstrate that level of risk, it's impossible to intervene your way out of that, right? right. Um, and so really focusing on first and foremost, you know, we're, we've got really solid universal instruction in place. You mm -hmm. know, maybe your data demonstrates that a majority of your students are really struggling with phonemic awareness, right, or phoneme segmentation. And so looking within those materials to see, like, you know, are there ways that we can 
embed more opportunities, right? We can like up the ante and frequency of opportunities that students are engaging with that um, particular skill within that universal tier, within the lessons that we're already providing our students, right? Mm, yeah. um, and so really problem solving there first and using our data to drive us to the things that we can do within universal tier to beef up instruction. Because again, it is our best opportunity where all students are present, right? And and we um, have some really solid things in place. We can just um, increase the frequency, um, increase the intensity of that instruction that's taking place within that universal instruction. So I'm going to say that another way too. It may not necessarily mean that you have to get another supplemental program or bring something else in. It may just mean that you need to emphasize or stretch the instruction that's already in place in the core. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Hmm. I've been, I've been thinking about this a lot, you know, um, just in our own school district. Right. So like, as I look at our data, I notice that, or my strategies might be another thing, right? Sure. So like, I notice that um, our students are not quite acquiring um, the high frequency words that we would want to see them acquire, like at the rate that we would like to see them acquire them, right? So um, I was at Plain Talk, you know, thanks to all of you. Um, it's my favorite conference to what attend. Great, great conference. <laughs> Such an incredible conference. Um, but um, I had the opportunity to go to Dr. Um, Catherine Pace Miles' session on high frequency words. And she, you know, has done extensive research under Dr. Lene Airy mm -hmm. um, around, you know, how students are, um, how students most effectively map high frequency words um, to their brain. And, you know, I'm like, knowing this, we can easily apply this strategy, right, within the materials we already have, within the context of the instruction that we're already providing, because our data demonstrates that we need it, right? But we don't need to go off and buy mm -hmm. a, you know, a high frequency word program and do that in addition to what we're doing. We just need to beef up what we're doing. Hi, I'm Megan Ahrens at Howard Elementary. And the science of reading has made a big impact um, in our district and at our school. Before we um, really made a shift to the science of reading, I think we knew which kids were struggling readers, but we did not pinpoint why. We knew that they had missing skills, um, but after introducing the science of reading, every teacher can articulate um, what a student's missing skills are. We have the systems in place um, of a strong screening system, and we're building a solid progress monitoring system. Um, we can have shared conversations on what students' goals are, um, exactly what they're missing, and a plan for how we're going to get there. This greatly impacts students um, because we are filling their holes. We can actually look at the data and we are tracking it actively to see which students are growing and which students need more support. Um, it has been a tremendous shift. I'm proud of the hard work that our students or that our teachers have done and the growth that our students have made. Um, and I'm so thankful that our district has put wonderful professional development resources and high quality instructional materials in place to make sure that every single student can achieve and read and become literate at a high level. Hi, I'm Mindy and I'm a first grade teacher. The reason why I like science of reading is because we focus on the phonemes and the sounds and words. 
This helps us to identify spelling patterns that students will use. They also get to practice those spelling patterns by using the spelling trees. We learn about the power bar and how common a sound is versus how not common it may be. And then the science of reading also provides several intervention materials that will help us with hitting those skills that some students may be missing. That's really interesting because I love that you made that connection. One of the things that I really worry about is sometimes, and plain, I'm going to use plain talk as an example, right? And that session you went to as an example, sometimes we will go to these sessions and we will think, wow, that's a great idea. I'm going to go back to my classroom and implement that without thinking, do my kids need this or do they not need this? And really, um, I think in the MTSS structure and what you're talking about, it's letting the data drive the decisions. It's the student need that should drive the decisions, not a cool presentation that we saw at a conference. Do you agree with that? I absolutely agree with that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I sort of set you up for that, didn't I? <laughs> you did a little bit. But, a little bit. But, but yeah, I mean, we, that is, I, you know, I think as consumers of information, you know, especially as more and more um, starts to become available to us um, around the science of reading, we do have to be critical consumers of that information, right? And we always have to have our students in mind as we're making those decisions, right? And, and processing through those things and thinking mm-hmm. through those things. So, yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Now, I want to talk a little bit more about like just digging into this universal screening because um, we had a conversation actually at Plain Talk about administering the universal screening, but then actually using that information that comes out, converting that data, in other words, into information. And I know you are using this at multiple levels. So at the district level, the school level, and actually the grade level, maybe even the classroom level. Can you talk a little bit about how in an MTSS structure, this universal screening data should be best used? Yeah. So um, within an MTSS model, um, at least from, from the training and the the professional learning that I have received. Um, one one concept that is different in MTSS than um, response intervention is the concept of a class-wide intervention, right? Mm-hmm. So if there are 60% or more of your students who are demonstrating a need, like let's say fluency as an example, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, oral reading fluency. Um, then you would look to implement a class-wide intervention around fluency with your students to help improve that because you have more students than not who are demonstrating that difficulty. Um, so a lot of times what happens um, in, in schools, you know, we have this time in our day where we can, you know, provide intervention and provide supports to students and we like piecemeal that time out. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And when we have data such that I have talked about um, where, you know, 75 percent of our kids are below or 66 percent of our kids are below. Right. There's there's very little time to give once you actually like start grouping kids. Right. You might have this group of kids that's going to get this five minute intervention three times a week and this group of kids that's going to get this 10 minute intervention two times a week and what have you. Right. And so. 
one of the other kind of ideas around MTSS is efficiency, mm-hmm. right? So we want to use we want to use data and leverage data to make decisions that are going to help us arrive at our outcomes or our goals in the most efficient and effective means possible, um, which is where, um, from what I've gathered, this idea of class-wide intervention comes, right? Um, If the majority of your students struggle with that, then logically you would use more time, right, to give that intervention to all students rather than trying to piecemeal time, right? and 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 really try to work on a lot of little things um, with very limited amounts of time in, in your day and in your schedule. And I know that that is something that is it is a very new concept um, to teachers. If any teachers in my district listen to me right now, they're going to be like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Because we have not had that conversation. You know, like we've We've all, it's always been the differentiated small groups, right? right. Yep. Um, and, you know, this idea of individualized instruction and, you know, giving every kid what they need. Um, and um, I love, um, I went to a session with uh, Steve Dykstra like a-, a while back and he talked about, you know, we don't, we don't need more individualized instruction. We don't need more of these ideas of small, like we need better cookie cutters, right? Because the reality of it is, is that we have more kids than not that have mm-hmm. the same difficulties, right? That have the same struggles and we need better cookie cutters. We mm-hmm. need, we need better processes, more effective practices that we can apply more widely, right? Again, to more efficiently and effectively arrive at our outcomes so that we can really get to the resources are left for our students who do need more intensive support, those smaller groups, right? Those higher rates of feedback, um, that that higher level of intensity. Um, What's happening in our systems is we're trying to support so many kids at that level who don't necessarily need that level of intensity and we're burning ourselves out in the process. Hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and I get how, uh, from a teacher point of view, it would be a very different message because I know, I remember being an administrator or being a curriculum director and administrators telling teachers, no, when I come do an observation, I want to see small group instruction, like small group instruction, small group instruction. But that that might not be the way best way to leverage. How do you, how would you suggest getting out of that sort of cycle of just delivering small group instruction? I mean, honestly, you just got to jump in and do it. Um, You know, we, that, that has been a major shift in our district. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we, we were a district that they, a bulk of our um, instructional time within universal tier was spent in small groups um, and, you know, when I would do classroom observations and, and honestly using daily five, right. Yep. Yep. Using a using a daily five model. So I would go to kindergarten classrooms who would have 60 minutes of their instructional time designated for daily five and they'd have four or 15 minute groups. Right. And you think of when, when you step back as like an outside observer in these classrooms, 
you know, you remove yourself from from the classroom and like really look and see what's happening with a critical eye. You see that kids spend 45 minutes doing nothing that is evidence based or high impact that is going to lead to really good outcomes and good results, right? Their kids are in August looking at picture books for 15 minutes. Well, I I mean, I have a five-year-old son. I'm sorry. He can't sit and look at a picture book for 15 minutes. <laughs> Neither can <laughs> I, actually. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and they're at writing and they haven't even, they haven't even learned how to write yet, you know? Mm -hmm. So they're in these stations and they're engaging in this learning that they aren't equipped yet to engage in and it really is not a good use of their time or the teacher's time right mm -hmm. so so you flip that and you take that 60 minutes and rather than kids getting 15 minutes of instruction a day they get 60 minutes mm -hmm. of really strong really solid teacher-directed instruction where they're engaging in a variety of opportunities, right? There might be whole group opportunities where, you know, we're doing choral response, right? Um, so phonemic awareness, right? So rather, like, why do, why do four small groups for phonemic awareness engage all kids in, in that mm -hmm. activity, right? Let all kids hear and see and participate. Um, and one of the things I've been trying to help our teachers think through is, you know, it doesn't mean that you might not find opportunities for small group in your in your day. Sure. Right. Yep. Or, or within that universal tier. Right. This is where collecting daily data and really getting to know your kids well is important. Right. So if we have a strong program where we're working on phonemic awareness, we're explicitly introducing the new sound that kids are gonna to learn today to students. We're explicitly teaching them how they're gonna spell that sound, right? And that mm -hmm. letter formation. Mm -hmm. um, it, I can, when I'm, when I, you know, begin to get fluid and, and good with those materials and that kind of cycle, that routine of instruction, begin to think through like, oh, and identify, I know these students really struggle with letter formation. Right. And I know these students are going to just take off. They could do this. They just need a little bit of modeling. Right. They can take off. They can do this on their own. And I can design that time of day. Right. Or that part of the lesson um, to most effectively meet the needs of all students. So it doesn't mean we can't still differentiate. It doesn't mean that we can't still you know, we still want to know our kids. We still want to make the best decisions that we can make. Um, it just means we have to think differently, right? We have mm -hmm. to apply what we know in different ways. Mm -hmm. So don't do small group instruction for the sake of small groups. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Think it. Think of it as a strategy rather than a time of the day. Oh, I right? love that. It's, it's a strategy I'm going to use because I know my students and I know that for this particular thing, they're going to need it. Right. Or I'm, I'm going to need to pull a small group for this thing. But yeah, not not it's not a time of the day. Right. It's a strategy that we can use. Why is the science of reading important to you? It's important to me because I get to learn new reading things and like new words that I haven't learned before. 
when I go on Amplify, they like tell me a lot of things about reading and like what I get to do. Well, to me it's important because when I want to grow up, I want to be an author and write stories that will make the whole world happy. And also to other people, there are millions of jobs out there that are really important that you need to know reading and spelling for. Like, for a fact, if you want to work in an office, or as a doctor, or as a, or a scientist, you have to know how to take notes and understand the people you're talking to. Mm -hmm. And also, if you know how to read and write, it's also better that you'll get a better education in life, too. This is why I think reading is important. Because it can help you learn, and you can learn new words as you go on reading and reading. And even though you don't know some words, there are a lot of context clues which can help, which can help you to memorize or learn new words. So the science of reading is important because I've improved by um, being a better, making up like minds, like um, memorizing or like making up, like if it's a book without pictures, like. I can come up with like what's happening in the story and like find out words that I don't know using context clues. Mm -hmm. So you can visualize what's happening yeah. and then figure out those missing words that you're not sure what they mean. Yeah. That's awesome. And, and then um, in the MTSS model, we monitor students so middle of the year we're going to give another universal screener and if we see they're not making progress then we look back to our core instruction or we look back and say okay what do i need to modify um has has that helped and then i'm going to ask you another question but has that helped your teachers in in the district actually make shifts in the instructional progress to know that students are actually making progress yes Yes, absolutely. I, I will. I will tell you. Um, I so our teachers. I, I collect survey information from them on a regular basis. I really value their feedback, right? Like mm -hmm. I want to know how things are going for them, um, and I, I want to you know make sure that they feel supported. And um, I surveyed our teachers uh, after we started using Dibbles because I wanted to get some feedback from them on just, it was a big shift. It, you know, everything was a shift. Um, the, the frequency of progress monitoring that they were gonna have to do. Um, honestly, it, we had more students who demonstrated risk by moving to Dibbles than we did when we were using a different assessment tool. And so they had mm -hmm. more students that they had um, to collect data on. And so they were very nervous about that, right? They sure. were nervous about their ability um, to manage that. Um, and by and large, the feedback was, you know, like I, I was nervous about this, but once I started collecting the data and I had an assessment tool that was sensitive to the instruction that I was providing and I could see the growth that kids were making or not. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I started to get addicted to the data and I wanted <laughs> <laughs> I wanted the data, which is what we want our we want our teachers to want the data, right? Mm -hmm. We want our teachers to value the data and to want to look at the data. Um, and so it was, you know, kind of like a little 
fearful, right? Sure. It changes, changes always hard for, for everyone. Um, but once they got rolling with the process and, and again, we've just, we continue to grow and evolve and improve in our practice year after year after year. Um, you know, from my perspective as a district leader, and also someone who's very ambitious, right? And wants wants us to just, you know, be operating at a really high level um, all of the time. It's so important to to help work people through that change process, right? And recognize that they can only take on so much at a time, right? Mm-hmm. And and you really have to be strategic about the the moves that you make right and and the things that you introduce and when you introduce them and how you introduce them and so our our data practices have evolved greatly over time um we actually just this year i rolled out a data analysis tool for our grade level plcs um, to be able to use where they can look at all types of data right within um dibbles they can kind of pull um, data from multiple reports into one place. And um, that by far has been their favorite way to look at data so far mm-hmm. because they um, they don't just look at did kids meet benchmark or not. We're pulling, you know, the percentage of kids who are meeting benchmark in all of the individual sub areas. We are pulling that data by teacher. So, you know, if one teacher is um, particularly effective at making improvements in one thing, it facilitates a conversation around what are you doing, you know, with mm. that. And, and I want to learn from you. You know what I mean? How can I, how did you do that? How did you get those results? Um, so that, the, so I'm going to inter, inter, just for a yeah. second. So that report is like, let's say I'm a second grade teacher and I have three other second grade colleagues with me, te- teachers, those second grade group of teachers can see all the data on one report. Yes. Yep. Yeah. They can see all of their data lives together. And they're really thinking about their grade level as like, like second grade, like we're yep. all responsible for these second graders. They're not yeah. just my second graders, right? Like this is my second grade group and your second grade group and your second grade group. But how can we collectively problem solve around this group of kiddos that we're yeah. all supporting? Yep. That makes sense Uh, because it's scary to see your own. I mean, it's scary scary to see your own data as a classroom teacher because it's a reflection of who you are, right? So that can be fearful. But then to aggregate all that together is an entire, I could see where that could be a change management process to say, no, right? Like we're all in this together. Let's let's do this problem solving together. Yeah. 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 The other piece that has been particularly effective for our teachers is they are they, so they not only look at that, but they also look at the growth that their students made. So oh, I, yeah. I created a quadrant where they map out um, all of their students in this in this growth quadrant, um, and then they problem solve around any of the students who didn't make expected rates of growth. Um, so it could be a student who was above benchmark in the fall and didn't make expected rates of growth is going to fall into ah. a category, right? where it's going to flag that that student for problem solving. And so, again, we're not just focusing on color bands, right? We're thinking about how is our system supporting, again, all of our students? And is our system effectively supporting all of our students or not? So, so that that's, was that's a big good. aha 
it's a good point. Teachers. Yeah. yeah. Because just because a student starts at the beginning of the year with no risk indications, if they aren't making progress in it, they fall into a risk category. That says something too about what's happening in the core instruction. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And those are those are all things that we um, as a district are thinking about and, and we're um, we're collecting data around. You know, mm. we look at um, one of our major criteria for determining the effectiveness of our universal instruction is if we have 95 percent or more of our students who started the year at or above grade level benchmark are remaining at or above grade level benchmark. The idea there is that those students are likely receiving universal instruction alone, yeah. right? They're not getting in more intensive targeted interventions. Um, and they might be getting enrichment and things like that, but you know, we're not intervening um, at a high degree with those students. And so that is a really good indication of the health of our system. And it's a really important factor or an important piece to have because Another thing that happens in my experience, I will say, um, with teachers working within these models is we, um, you know, we provide intervention, effective intervention for students and they reach benchmark and then we don't want to let them go. Right. We want to hold on to them because we're fearful. We're scared. Um, because we have it in our minds that the intervention is the thing that made the difference. And if we don't do that intervention anymore, they're going to slip back. Um, So having that data that says, hey, our data indicates that once students are at grade level benchmark, we can, we are effective at keeping them there. That data helps support that transitional decision, right, around moving kids to to core and letting them go and letting them fly. Um, It also facilitates a good conversation around if, if our data isn't there, then we do uh, consistent with that MTSS model, right? We need to go back to our universal tier and we need to be answering questions about that fidelity of implementation. Are we implementing as we're supposed to be implementing? You know, if we are, is that intensive enough for our particular population of students or do we need to, you know, problem solve around these different areas and think differently about what we're doing. Um, So, yeah. So uh, MTSS is really a systems approach, right? It's putting some certain things in place in in terms of the system. But what I'm hearing you saying, and this is really an aha for me too, is that that system needs to respond to students based on their need because every year, we get a new group of students in or our kindergartners move up into first grade and they may or may not have the same issues and our core instruction needs to respond to that. Am I getting that right? Yes, you're absolutely getting that right. And I think that's where, you know, we, there can somewhat be a misconception around, you know, things like high quality instructional materials and, um, you know, all of, all of these things that um, are promoted High quality instructional materials are uh, they're necessary, right? But they're not sufficient. Yeah. Necessary, but not sufficient. Right. And we have a responsibility to engage in that continuous improvement process all of the time, year after year after year, Mm -hmm. um, so that our system is the most effective for all of our students. Hmm. And I, I love that because people think that when you buy a program, 
if it's a good program, you sh teachers should just be able to execute that program all across different different classrooms and across different schools across the district. And you and I both know that that's not true, that the high quality instructional materials act as the base and the teacher needs to understand both the science of reading instruction and the students to be able to make modifications to that. Yes, yes, absolutely. In my early years of teaching, if I had a fifth grader who couldn't read, I always thought it was that they just needed more practice with reading. I would mention to their parents or to them that they just needed to read more and read out loud and listen to reading and get all that practice in. After learning about the science of reading, I'm now able to better diagnose and delineate between decoding issues and fluency issues, be able to help those students get back on track with their reading. So MTSS is a thing that's not a one and done. No, absolutely not. I I would say that, well, and I actually can't even say that, you know, um, the as we've built this system out and we we work with the tools that we're, you know, putting out to our schools and to our teachers, we are constantly in the process of continuous improvement, right? And problem solving and testing things, right? So um, that tool, that data tool that I told mm -hmm. you about, you know, yeah. I pushed, we pushed that out to our teachers um, this winter to look at their uh, middle of year data and to look at growth and all of that. And, you know, had really wonderful um, feedback from our teachers around that. And we've already changed it. We've already made edits um, <laughs> to that tool um, just based off of some of the conversations that ignited around it, right? And um, the different approaches that teachers took um, to entering the data within that tool. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, one, one thing that comes out in particular is our district, you know, we, about 17% of our students um, are learning English as a second language. Okay. And, um, you know, uh, one school that used the tool, they plotted the, the services that our English language learner students were receiving mm -hmm. um, behind their names when they looked at the growth, right? Yep. Um, and it prompted additional problem solving specifically to those students. And, and we are going to add um, an EL profile now to that data tool. Oh, wow. Um, so, you know, when, when students fall out and then, you know, we... Time is a precious commodity in our systems, right? Um, and that was really what those conversations started to come around. You know, we don't have enough time in the day to do all of these things. And so it really became around, okay, we got to understand, we really need to understand these kids, right? All, everything there is to know about them so that we can make the most effective decision um, around their education. And so um, adding that EL profile just helped illuminate um, information about that student that made that problem solving process and that decision making process um, far easier. Um, and I, I think that's another piece, too. Um, I'm, this is just like kind of popping into my brain. But, you know, the the time that it takes to problem solve. Right. Um, and, and to engage in those conversations. Um, you know, we we want to just 
make a decision and go and try it and do yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but the time we save, you know, by making the best decision and and we're not wasting instructional time on things mm -hmm. that kids don't need. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, when we could be better using that time um, around things that students really do need so that they can be the most successful. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it is it definitely is not a one and done. It is not a one and done for sure. <laughs> You're pretty passionate about this. I can tell. <laughs> I can tell. It is. Um, I, I will tell you it. Building this system um, for Grinnell and public schools, it sincerely has been the highlight of my career. Um, mm -hmm. It has been a just tremendous joy to be involved in this work and to be able to, to, develop, to develop the system for our principals, for our coaches, for our teachers. Um, I'm really thrilled and excited to share with everybody you know every next year will be kind of like a big launch um of everything that we've been re working really really hard on and i'm just excited at you know the response and the feedback that we're going to get around around that system that we're we're building for them that's great i, I can't wait to come back and talk to you about that um and hear more about it i do just want to to highlight and mention again that this is not this has been a multi-year journey in terms of a change management process. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, so this is my fourth year here. Yeah. Um, and I will say, I mean, reflecting back the things that we have done in four years make me extremely proud because I, I know that we've done things that most districts wouldn't have done in that amount of time. Um, but it has very much been a process. I mean, it, it has it has taken every single year um, for us to be able to get where we are. And we are deeply committed to the continuous improvement process, right? Um, I work year after year after year. I'm, I'm constantly using our data to inform um, professional development, to inform, you know, um, the, the strategies that we're going to put into place and, and all of the decisions that I make as a, as a district leader, you know, I'm really reflecting on that data um, and using it continuously um, to help to help drive all of the decisions that we make. Hmm. How exciting. Well, whew, I have so many more questions to ask, but we'll hold those for another time because I'm sure you're going to be back talking to us again. Um, I would love if you had any final thoughts or any advice for our listeners as they're either maybe making a shift to science of reading or making a shift to MTSS. Any thoughts you have in closing? Uh, yeah. So I don't, I don't remember where I saw this. So I feel bad because I'm not going to be able to give credit where credit is due here. But in regard to MTSS, um, someone very wise said, MTSS is not another thing. It is the thing. Mm. Um, and, you know, we have really been working to frame up, you know, MTSS, when you think about change management theory, right, um, and change theory, um, it's really like a first order kind of change, right? Most districts are familiar with RTI. Yeah. There's enough, there's enough kind of crossover, you know what I mean, that it doesn't feel really new. Um, the biggest piece is that universal piece. And I will tell you um, that it is really, really difficult because 
because educators have been operating from an intervention mindset for so very long, it is really hard to go to the universal tier first and to problem solve around that universal tier first. And so um, when if, if you're someone who's really like leading that work, um, you just have to continue to champion that message and you have to continue to when people want to go to tier two and tier three. Right. And and um, bring up strategies or ideas around tier two and th tier three, take them back to tier one. Right. And, and drive that conversation back to tier one. Um, and I would just say if if you're an educator. Right. And you are constantly are are going there um, when you see your data or, um, you know, when when you're kind of problem solving, like trying to, to set yourself up so like you can like correct. Right. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to tier two. Is there what can I do for all students within mm -hmm. that universal tier first? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, to have improvement. Um, and I, the other thing I think I would say is MTSS is not a thing that lives outside of the science of reading, right? There, there are two things that complement each other very, very well. Um, MTSS is a really nice framework with which I, I feel the science of reading lives in mm -hmm. um, really, really beautifully. Um, and so I would just say, too, not to not to think about things in isolation, right? They really complement each other exceptionally well. Yeah, that's great advice. Well, thanks, Brittany, for joining us today. Thanks for the work that you're doing. Um, and I am sure we will hear from you again soon. I look forward to it. Thanks for listening and keep your feedback coming. Want to learn more? Be sure to stay connected by subscribing to your favorite podcast app and join our Facebook discussion group, Science of Reading the Community.